You're listening to Kapow, the pop culture podcast. Comics, television, movies, and more. If it impacts fan culture, we have something to say about it. And now, your hosts, Michael, Jordan, Cliff, and Seth. All right, Jessies, this is episode number 41 of Kapow! The Pop Cultured Podcast. This is part two, our continuation of our favorite top ten villains of pop culture all time. So this episode is going to feature number five through number one. And with that, take it away there, Poobah. All right, we're going on to number five, and I'll start this one off with Elijah Price from a little movie called Unbreakable. Mr. Glass. Spoiler, spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. You, you just spoiled <laughs> Lonesome Dove. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Pretty much at this point, if you don't know what happened, tough. We're going to tell why he's a bad guy. You know. Well, I'm sure we've told people before to watch that movie. They, uh, you know, just a, such a good comic book mythology movie, and he, this character's obsessed with, with that, and just needing to, you know, this, his mind's just corrupt with wanting to know, you know, looking for the opposite of himself. You know, he's the arch villain, and so who's the hero? Must be his exact opposite. And you know, that's the where, of course, Bruce Willis is in a terrible train wreck and walks away without a scratch, revealing you know himself to be the opposite of Mister Glass. And you know, he's just—it's just so such a villainous thing to care about no one and only be driven and need to know at all costs thousands of people must die just for you to realize who you are but there is some sympathy there because you you, you you get his life story and how terrible it must have been that right yeah you kind of feel for him until you learn the whole scope right. of it yeah all. well because those kids i'm not a mistake it all makes sense in a comic, you know how you can tell who the arch villain's going to be? He's the exact opposite of the hero. And most times they're friends like you and me. I should have known way back when. You know why, David? Because of the kids. <laughs> I love that movie. It's one of and my again, favorites. That was like before all these comic book movies. This was like a realistic. Take you couldn't on make that movie nowadays. No, they wouldn't make that movie nowadays because so many takes on comic books have been done already. It's just this is. It was just a. It was right perfect for its time. And the best thing Shyamalan's ever done, in my opinion. Yes, that's yes, absolutely. And I, I, you know. I like a lot of his movies better than some people. Of course, his first three get a lot of praise. That the most for me, but I, I like, you know, I like The Village more than a lot of people. 
Yeah, I was looking at lists of movie villains, and one of them said Mother Nature from The Happening. <laughs> I almost <laughs> added that to my list. Yeah. I'm scared of the Even wind. Even that is not as – I mean, that's a terrible movie, but – even that is not as terrible as people make it out to be. It was an interesting idea, a good comment on, you know, how we treat the world and things. And and Marky Mark, really, just the way, the most ridiculous way he acts <laughs> almost saves that movie. Okay, so let's go on. It is Michael with his number five. Okay, now there was this little sci-fi show on couple years ago called Fringe that is one of the best sci-fi shows ever. And this is not so much a villain, but a collective of villains called The Observers. And you have to watch this show from beginning to end of all four seasons for to realize who the real villains are, and it's these observers. Now, if you, you go online and, and look at aliens and sci-fi and you'll find like where this origin of these characters came from. But the observers were this monotone, bald face, uh, no eyebrows, no emotionless characters that were in these black suits with fedoras that were observing the past. At some point, they became corruptive and started turning the their past into the um the way the future was so that they could come back in time and live because they had destroyed the future like cuz they were all cold and like i mean they were so awesome type villains because they were so emotionless and and it's just they're a great villain were they like active like, were they fighting the good guys every episode, or were they just kind of in the background moving pieces around? Well, you didn't see them really prominently till the very last season, and that's where you see them, where it all kind of ties together and makes sense. Because you had you had one observer that was good, that was, was helping them, and you see, and it's really hard to explain because each season, like, there was alternate timelines, there was an alternate dimension, and... You know, this outcome negated this this storyline. So it was really, it's like the perfect show for yeah, me. Right up your alley. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. <laughs> Good. Uh, that was a big cult hit. I know they had a lot of a lot of fans. Not ever huge ratings, but really diehard fans. It was another one where it was the long game. Like if you watched it from the beginning to the end, everything made absolute sense in it. All right, Cliff, what's your number five? Number five is, it's funny, your number ten, you mentioned how uh, your character was based on Ms. Mr. Potter yeah. from It's Lionel a Barry Life. Right. So that's my number five. This is the real deal. This is who mine was based on. Yeah, Henry F. Potter, commonly referred to as Mr. Potter in It's a Wonderful Life, was just a curmudgeon old businessman who was interested in nothing but making money for himself and leaving everyone else in, in the wake. Now, Seth is right now is thinking, hmm, who's that sound like? This sounds awful familiar right mm. now. Mm. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, we don't – in the movie, we don't learn much about Mr. Potter um, as far as did he have a family. We assume he didn't. Of course, he was uh, portrayed by Lionel Barrymore, 
who, and I guess um, the reason Mr. Potter is in a wheelchair is because of Lionel Barrymore's own health conditions at the time. So that's okay. why they put him in a wheelchair. Um, but yeah, we don't we don't learn much about him other than he's just sinister, cold, apathetic, um, just heartless. He's an evil man throughout the entire film. Um, famously, you know, he, he's got these little schemes, you know, like when, uh, there's a run at the bank and, uh, he offers to buy out George Bailey, all the, uh, bank and loan clients for, you know, pennies on the dollar more or less, um, for their shares. So anything to get ahead, anything to add to his wealth, um, and, and he's out to destroy the bank and loan and George Bailey keeps getting in his way, but. Uh, just simply because he wants everybody to, he's a slumlord. He wants everybody to rent his crappy little, you know, rentals out in, in the entire town. So. It's on the tip of my tongue. I feel like, I still feel like you're describing somebody. I, guess. I, it could be, I mean, this, this, we're, we're talking about it's a wonderful life. It was made in like 1946. It could not be relevant today. There's just no I way. What you're talking about. I don't know because I was listening to a little docudrama on Netflix called The 60s, and there were some parallels with today's society. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Jordan, don't give us your number five because Ooh. somebody has it higher on their list. Ooh, all right. Number four. And Michael, you go ahead and give us your number four. Number four. Now, this villain right here was nominated as number six on IGN's top 100 comic book villains of all time. A very prestigious list. 23 on Wizards' 100 great villains <laughs> of all time. I'm talking when Michael brings numbers. <laughs> I'm talking about the one, the only Dark Side. <laughs> That's Dark Side. You can understand that. <laughs> <laughs> I took away a little bit of the gravitas, but I like. It. <laughs> to me, he is the. Well, for one, he was created by Jack Kirby, so that's a high ranking right there. But he is the anti-Superman. He wants to rule everything, death, destruction. He is the ultimate. Anti-life equation. What a great concept. He's trying to do math. He's a, <laughs> he's a villain who wants to solve a math problem. <laughs> that's true. That's it. That's all there is to him. He's got yeah. freaking laser beams that come out of his eyes. <laughs> yeah. That never miss its mark. Whoa. And those are the Omega Beams? Yeah, the Omega Beams, yeah. yeah. And it was voiced by the uh, same actor that did the... Um, Inspector Gadget, Doctor Claus. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, I can. Yeah, I but get that that, now. that uh, his voice and the superpowers, like I love that that heavy, like that was just perfect. Yeah, uh, that was kind of my first introduction to him. Was in that I think it was like eighty four, eighty five run of when Galactic Super Friends, became, yeah, Super Friends became the superpowers team, the Galactic Guardians. What a name! Yeah, and um, he loved Wonder Woman. Yeah, yeah, that's right. A little thing for Wonder Woman. Who doesn't? All right, Cliff, what's your number four? Uh, number four, sticking <laughs> with DC Comics, uh, Max Lord. Ooh. Specifically, as we had Siler, my Siler season one, 
I love Max Lord and this little run they did after um, DC had the Blackest Night Green Lantern run uh, special event. Then it went into Brightest Day, and that's when they they brought Max back from the dead, famously in what was it? Infinite right right before Infinite Crisis, right was when Max. Uh, it was the countdown to infinite. Crisis. Yeah, countdown to infinite. That's yeah. what, what I was looking at. Max. Is this before or after he got his neck snapped? Well, that's when that happened. Okay. Was a, that's one of my favorite things? Is you know, not that he killed Ted Cord, but what a great story that was. And then of course Wonder Woman snaps his neck all the way around. Um, but at, once he comes back from the dead in this generation Justice League generation lost story, where he was the main villain. Um, he basically uses his, amplifies his mind powers to make everyone forget he ever existed. Except for our little band of forgotten heroes, Booster Gold, um, Fire and Ice, Sky Gardener, uh, the new Rocket Red is thrown in there. All the, the new uh, Blue Beetle. Justice League International. Yeah, Cap- uh, yeah from the JLI. Captain Adam um, had a great great story arc in that um but but i really love the story between booster and max um because you killed my buddy well honestly i mean the the story starts out you know booster gets finds this old gets this old uh trouble alert if you will from the old jli and rushes in to see you know who set it off ted's gone and dead and it's max lord and max Beats the living bejesus out of him. Wow. Um, almost kills him. And that's how we start off the story. So it's a real... Um, it's almost a thriller. If, I, if, it, if it was a movie, it would be a thriller. And Max would be, you know, your your main villain in that. Well, he's, he's a little obscure, so let's jump back real quick. He he's the founder of Justice League International, right? Just kind of a businessman, more or less. Yeah, he was the and we liaison. didn't we didn't know he had powers until way later. And it was on. kind of retconned in yeah. that he has these powers that can influence people or, or control minds. Yeah, it, yeah. He, I mean, at one point he controlled Superman. Okay, and, and Countdown there. And that's why uh, Wonder Woman had to snap his neck, right? Because he wouldn't release control of. He was trying to make. Her, like show how bad people with powers are, yeah, that kind of thing. So he was a good guy for years and years, or yes. at least on the right side. And then we've revealed that he had a longer. Yeah, eventually goal in he life. became the, uh, the like the Black King at Checkmate or whatever. Um, and he had that run, which was fine, and that led into Infinite Crisis and what was going on with the Omax and the Omax project and all that. He and he's five. back on your local comic shelves in Justice League versus Suicide Squad, number one through six, out today. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Don't worry, friends. Ted is back as well. <laughs> all right, Jordan, what's your number four? My number four is from my favorite TV show of all time, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And she fought every season. There was – that's where we get the term big bad. Every season had a villain. And you may argue with me, this guy even was a villain, but my favorite was Spike, the vampire, played by James Marsters. Obviously, the longer the show went on, we run into the same problem with Siler a little bit. Like, the fans love this guy. So they had to keep bringing him back. 
They they evolved him. He they gave him a backstory where he was this struggling poet because he was always he was William the Bloody growing. Uh, All poets up. are villains. <laughs> That's my number two villain. Poets. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, William the Bloody struck fear in the hearts of all these people. Well, we learn years later he was called that because he was a bloody awful poet. And we get more we get more uh, backstory with him. He fights to regain his soul and prove his love to Buffy. And shippers everywhere still argue, is it Spike and Buffy or Angel and Buffy, blah, blah, blah. But to me, season two, Spike is what define this show uh he came in the episode was called school hard uh these vampires school hard yeah that was the title of the episode uh it was a parent teacher conference and these vampires slam all the doors shut and they're just gonna eat everyone inside so it's like die hard in the school school hard um (laughs) and in walks spike dressed like you know sid vicious uh bottle blonde hair long duster cigarette hanging out of his mouth because up to this point in season one it was all about the master is rising and there are prophecies that will bring about the chosen one and it was the standard kind of vampire fair and it was good but it was still a little bit generic and then spike walks in kicks the door open he's like nope here's what's happening now and he literally takes the chosen one at the end of one of the episodes and like throws him out into the sunlight and kills him it's like yeah, we're not doing this mumbo jumbo anymore. That we're modern now, and to me, that's when Buffy kicked in and became this amazing TV show. So I love Spike in later years as the good guy, and he was on Angel, the spinoff. But to me, that season two Spike is the is the tops. Cool. Yeah, I only know him from Angel. I never watched Buffy that much, but actually, I think you're the one that got me into watching Angel, and I can Angel get into is that. great as well. Yes, and. By that time, he was more of the kind of in the middle of the road kind of character. Yeah, still a great actor though. Oh yeah, but he was strictly the bad guy in the second season. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, my number four was Michael's number six. So we both matched up on this. Was uh from Arthur C. Clarke's book and the nineteen sixty eight Stanley Kubrick movie. 2001 A Space Odyssey, HAL 9000. Open the pod bay doors, HAL. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. What are you talking about, HAL? This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. I don't know what you're talking about, Hal. Are you okay, Dave? <laughs> yeah, it's what uh, if George Lucas. I was going to say, now do it as George Lucas. Yeah. I don't know how George Lucas is. It's not in my repertoire. He's the heuristic. <laughs> That's never stopped you before. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Heuristically programmed algorithmic computer. And he's creepily depicted just as a camera lens with a red dot. And, you know, he has a very calm voice and he's just part of the crew that gets sent you know to follow the mono the path of the monoliths and uh well the whole you know we'll go into the whole plot of 2001 a space odyssey or interpretations but but anytime a villain like is so monotone with no feeling it's so creepy right and also the backdrop of space like 
Event Horizon is one of my favorite horror movies, and it's set in space, and it's along that same lines because you can't outrun, you can't go nowhere, you're stuck. Right, and, he, and the, these, you know, these lenses, you know, are all throughout the ship. You know, anywhere you go, there's Hal. You know, and he's just yeah. And you can't appeal to an emotion. You can't. Yeah, you can't change its mind. Right, and he just tells them, "I'm incapable of error." So you know, that's what he believes. That, but you know, the best, the creepiest part is just the when they realize something's going wrong with Hal, and you know, Dave and Frank have to. You know, discuss what what we're going to do about him. You know, they get in a little pod, and you see they just show them in there talking and their lips moving, and then they just show the camera lens watching, and he's and you figure out later he's just reading their lips, yeah. and it just such a great you know computer villain. I, I love it. It's a classic, classic movie. So now we go to. Number three. Cliff, you're number three. Okay. I love this. <laughs> Tonight, on a very special episode of D- Different Strokes, <laughs> we're going to talk about Mr. Horton in a little episode called The Bicycle Man. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. This is number goodness. three. I, I I'm just going to let that sink in and everybody remember <laughs> this episode. What are you talking about, Cliff? <laughs> how terrifying this is was. Is this the episode that I think it is? It is. <laughs> wow. It's a two-part episode. Oh, it's a two-parter. Mr. Drummond brings his family to the bicycle shop of a family friend, Mr. Horton. <laughs> They're going to return uh, some bikes that they had been renting. Arnold and Mr. Horton become fast friends. I want the whole story from beginning to end. Well, while I was there with Dudley, he gave us some pizza and wine. What else went on there? They start doing one another favors. Arnold passes out flyers at his school advertising the bike shop. (laughs) Mr. Horton gives him a handlebar radio in return. Arnold likes Mr. Horton so much that he starts... All of a sudden, I'm getting like this pit in my stomach. (laughs) Yeah. The villainy is coming. (laughs) Arnold likes Mr. Horton so much that he starts bringing his friend Dudley along. And it isn't long before Mr. Horton is feeding them both wine and giving them pornography. Oh, you guys were looking at this, huh? There's nothing wrong with being naked. Especially if there's nothing to be ashamed of. The point is, Arnold, that there's a good reason for looking at the human body and admiring it. It's a work of art. Oh. At first... I feel a lesson coming on here. Mr. Horton just seems like a nice old man. My soul is disintegrating before your eyes. That, you know, gives little kids wine and <laughs> pornography. Um, and that's exactly what's so horrifying. It's the slow reveal that a character is actually a pedophile trying to seduce Arnold with ice cream and comic books. It's not until he asks Arnold never to tell Mr. Drummond about the time they spend together that something seems, you know, slightly off. Arnold, it's not sneaking around. We're just uh, simply trying to keep me out of trouble for giving you guys all these little treats after school. Mrs. Garrett doesn't give us wine when we get home from school. (laughs) (laughs) 
He even tells the kids about all the cool games that they can play with their clothes off and shows them naked pictures of himself, which the studio, in, in, in the actual episode, the studio audience apparently finds hilarious because there's a laugh track when this happens. <laughs> well, that's disturbing. <laughs> the day... I think you should have saved your what you're talking about. <laughs> the day finishes off with Mr. Horton getting Dudley to take his shirt off for some photos, and Arnold returns home with the smell of wine still on his breath. He is caught by the by Dana Plato and Todd Bridges, who play his brother and sister, and they make him never swear to never drink again. Dudley and Arnold decide to do the moral thing and leave the bike shop. Or, I'm sorry. Um... Lost my place. Never drink again. Dudley and Arnold continue to visit Mr. Horton until the whole thing gets a little too creepy for Arnold. Arnold then decides the moral thing to do is leave the bike shop. But when he leaves the bike shop, he also leaves Dudley there at the bike shop with Mr. Horton. Eventually, Arnold tells Mr. Drummond about what's been happening in the police. You're going to make me start crying, man. Speed this up. (laughs) The police arrive at the bike shop just in time to find a drugged up Half-naked Dudley, sprawled out, and Mr. Horton doing... You're yelling this at us. <laughs> You're really <laughs> Mr. Horton doing creepy warm-up stretches in prep- preparation <laughs> for, for some vigorous child abuse. Vigorous oh. child abuse. This episode creeped me out. As a Especially as watching, watching it as a freaking child. child. Yes, on network primetime television... You know, and I remember, you know, it being a very special episode, which usually meant they were going to tackle some, you know, serious issue. But unlike Saved by the Bell and that, you know, tried to tackle Jesse's drug use. Over caffeine pills. (laughs) Over caffeine pills. This went as far as early 1980s. Could have probably... Stretched into the sensor. Do you think it did any good? Do you think there are any kids out there? I think it terrified a generation of kids. Did kids think to tell an adult of something? Did it do more harm than good? I can remember that time, like, we were, like, it was beating our brains that you don't go over to people's houses, like, strangers that you didn't know, the whole stranger danger, like, I remember this episode, like, I completely blocked it out till you started bringing this up, obviously. <laughs> obviously, and as soon as uh, I mentioned it, everybody knew what I was talking about. Yeah. Everybody remembers Mr. Horton. Up to this point in our lives, we thought all old people were nice, like, great people that take you to parks and, you know, give you, I don't know, hot dogs or whatever. <laughs> hot dogs. Awfully specific. You meant pornography and comic books. <laughs> no, because well, I remember as a kid, we had this next door neighbor. Yeah, who gave him hot dogs. Here we go. Fiction, Michael. Nothing happened. We're recording this. But nothing happened. I got out of there in the nick of time. We only played with my goldfish, Abraham. No, he would he would take me to the park around the corner when they would. <laughs> <laughs> this is so wrong. Keeps getting better. Keep going. I mean, this is such like true uh, confessions. With anyway, there, the, you know, like um, the park on the west side where they had the um, like they have baseball games. Yeah. He was just like he was just an old gentleman that would take me over there. <laughs> I give up. Let's move on. No, no, come on, so brought us camera. We've given you every chance to get out of it. You're going now. Go on. What happened? But no. Anyway. <laughs> 
he'd, he would just take me over to the park and we'd watch ball games and, you know, he'd give me a hot dog and a pop or something and it was just really cool. Hmm. You know, there's just one thing though. Maybe it would be best if you didn't even mention, you know, that you came back here and I gave you all this ice cream before dinner. Why don't we just make it our little secret, huh? Like, I, as a little kid, it was nice to get out of the house and do something. Whereas, like, this episode taught you that all old people were evil. Yeah, different strokes root the part for everyone. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it came to, I thought, who was the worst television villain I possibly could remember? And... And again, it's a it's someone that's set in reality that yeah. could the bicycle actually happen. man, the bicycle, the bicycle man, just like the bye bye man. <laughs> All right, Jordan, what's your number? R.I.P. Dudley. Um, number three. <laughs> yep. I think. Uh, yeah, I went with Doctor Victor Von Doom. I heard of him. Um, just he loves his mama. Yeah, the Fantastic Four aren't my favorite comic growing up or you know it's not the uh, the top of my reading list but dr doom is obviously one of my top villains that's what we're talking about number three um yeah number three uh i just i loved him costume design his backstory just the power he has he and then he's he's born he wasn't some god that was created, you know, out of the cosmos. Like Zeus. He was born. He was <laughs> some lame like Zeus. He was born a very poor Romany child or gypsy, if you will. Um, and, you know, witnessed this terrible abuse by the, the, the king and queen of his land. Uh, mother is killed. Her soul is in hell because she's a witch. Uh, and he just decides... I'm done putting up with this and just rises in power ruthlessly, takes over uh, Latveria, um, and just through his own force of will and intelligence, masters the sciences, masters the dark arts, um, but just has that ego that you know, no one is, is, his, is his superior. And then Tilly meets Reed Richards. And, you know, he could have been one of the best forces for good in the world. And, you know, because the people of Latveria, he took care of. He kept danger away from them. You know, all he demanded was complete obedience. That's it. But uh, that's it. Um, until he meets Reed Richards and he sees someone who is his rival and he will not admit it. And the, the great part of it is, is that that mirror image, because the Fantastic Four, it's all about family. As these four people are, you know, the first family of the Marvel Universe. But Doom has stripped himself of all attachments. You know, he, he he's searching for his mother, but that's about it. He's he's not he doesn't have love. He he distanced himself from uh, Valeria, his first love back in the old country. So where Reed gets his power, you know, from his family, Doom tries to do it all himself. And I don't know, I just, I've always loved him. And he's one of those villains, again, with like a code of honor that, you know, if he gives you his word about something, he'll stick to it. He's not just a ruthless murderer. Yeah. He he has a goal in mind. He's trying to get there. So, yeah, there's, anytime Dr. Doom shows up, you know you're in for a a good time. And 
don't forget about his Doom bots that no one can tell if it's the real Doctor Doom or one of his bots. Yeah. What? Yeah. What a great villainy thing to do is just make a bunch of robots that look like you and send them out to do your bidding. Yep. My number three is from a little movie called Die Hard. Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber. I gotta watch this movie sometime. You've never seen Die Hard still? Nope. Really? Nope. Wow. I've seen bits and pieces of it, but I don't and think yet, I've ever watched it. At Christmas time, he movie. will share the meme that says, oh, well, of yeah. it's not Christmas until Hans falls off Nakatomi. Yeah, yeah. So he'll share the meme. Well, I know it's a lie. <laughs> yeah. We're on to him. <laughs> well, you know, it's not for everybody. <laughs> different strokes for different folks, huh, Michael? <laughs> um, so. <laughs> Anyway, I'm so happy to be part of this podcast. <laughs> Greatly uh, performed by Alan Rickman. He's the mastermind behind the Nakatomi Plaza heist. And just, I mean, everything about this character like we've talked about before, it just, it's so, such a great villain. The, the ultimate action movie villain. You know, just him talking to Takaji wanting the code saying, you know, I'm I'm going to count to three. There will not be a four. I assume you realize the futility of direct action against me. We have no wish for further loss of life. It's a, it's just I, I love I love him as that a villain. Voice. Yeah, he just incredible. I we just watched it Christmas Eve, you know, again. It's just uh, well, it's we've, classic. we've talked about this. Back on our old Christmas special, right? Die Hard, and being that it was kind of Alan Rickman's like first movie, yeah, uh, his first big breakout role, and we had no idea who he was before this. Yeah, we knew Bruce Willis. That that was what was amazing is he didn't have any; they had nothing to base mm-hmm. casting him on. Uh, that he you know, had been in plays and such, but it's just like to he just knocked it out of the park. Yeah. This is one of the great movie villains and, you know, had to be, had to be included in this. And it's great, a simple feat to, like, puts out there that he's a terrorist, you know, he has all these ideals. He's a thief. He's an exceptional thief, but he's just a thief. He's just trying to steal money. Right. And it's just such a clear focus of, and, you know, no one's going to get in his way. Absolutely. I mean, if you... This is the absolute biggest surprise of looking at this list is that I'm the only one that had him on there. Like, like I would if I had had to guess one person would be on Jordan's list, it would have been. He just missed my top ten because I I thought maybe somebody else would. Right. Yeah. Okay. So now we're on to Michael. Your number three. My number three is the master, known in female form as Missy, short for Mistress, and at times by various other aliases, was a renegade Time Lord, originally a friend and long opponent of the Doctor from Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. The master's diabolical madness was at least partially the result of a genuine mal- mal- crap. In the form of a never-ending drumming sound that has been retroactively implanted inside his head by people I cannot pronounce. But anyway... Sounds scary. Yeah. He was one of the best... Well, he is the best villain of Doctor Who. He was... one. It's it's almost like Lex Luthor in Superman. He was a childhood friend of Doctor Who and turns into a villain and is trying to destroy Doctor Who at every possible... Like, there's so many great episodes going from 
the I think the second doctor to the present doctor. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. However, I think Ronald might argue that the dialects <laughs> are the ultimate <laughs> Doctor Who adversary. I don't know. I I always I, it's funny you mentioned and I've forgotten about that that drum beat. Yeah, the drumming sound. Yeah, that just yeah creep factor. And there was I, I'm thinking if I remember correctly, there was an episode where he had taken the whole world's population and he was they were like these little um, like robot. Hashtag robots. Oh man, you should beat me to it. <laughs> but it, like, it was a two-part episode that is probably my favorite all-time of Doctor Who when it was uh, David Tennant. Yep, such good. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. The latest version of him, I think, is the female, the mistress. Um, I don't think I've seen her. But yeah, it's just, he's just a great all-time villain. So he has there's a drum beat in his own head, or he makes people hear a drum beat. Or he has a drum. What is it? He, he does hear the beat, like subconsciously almost in in his head. So, but it's played out has, in, in he, a lot of those episodes where you hear it too. Yeah, has tinnitus, and that makes him the most evil. <laughs> it's just driven him to the brink of madness. He is very much like. Michael said he's very much the same as Doctor Who um, on every on almost every level he's just that classic you know adversary they're very much two sides of the same coin alright we're moving on we're getting to the nitty gritty number two So our number twos. We're starting with Jordan. Ooh, my number two is Doctor Zayus from Planet of the Apes. Oh. Doctor Zayus, Doctor Zayus, Doctor Zayus, Doctor Zayus, Doctor Zayus, Doctor Zayus. Oh, Doctor Zayus, Doctor Zayus. The original Planet of the Apes. Uh, we're talking Maurice Evans was the actor. And probably got to be in my top ten movies of all time, Planet of the Apes. And it's also very, you know, uh, Rod Serling wrote the screenplay. So there's a lot of real world uh, being kind of thrown back at you. It's not like any good sci-fi. It's, it's saying something about our world. And Dr. Zayas, he's not a terrible person or orangutan he he's uh his title he's the minister of science and chief defender of the faith so he's a bureaucrat really and when this orangish is it like the orangish yeah 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 and so when charlton heston shows up as a human that can talk you know he's got to scramble because this contradicts everything they believe in so you learn toward the end of the movie that he knows apes actually evolved from man, but they have to hide this fact from the people to protect them from uh, certain facts. So any science, and then we, we follow uh, doctors Zira and Cornelius that are, they're scientists and they're trying to find truth. And every time they make a step forward, he's there to say, ah, stop looking into that. That's not important. So, it's this idea of denying anything that contradicts your faith and instead of looking for, you know, truth. And, 
but he also says a lot of things about our society when he talks about how how mankind destroyed itself you know we see the statue of liberty at the end we know we are on earth mm-hmm. so he says they don't want to be like that and you know man is a warlike creature who gives battle to everything around him even himself so uh his heart's in the right place of trying to protect society but he just he's so ruthless about it and it's such a again it could be seen as a silly kids movie you know the guy fighting the monkeys whatever or reality (laughs) there is there's definitely a depth there to to this character my favorite part is uh, at the press conference when he yells at all the other monkeys, fake news, fake news, fake news. <laughs> no, I didn't, I never brought that up. To, about an orange, orange oh. skin uh, zealot. Uh, Love it. <laughs> My number two from Game of Thrones. The books or TV show? I have only read like part of one of the books, but I just got on too late or I would have read them. But, uh, Joffrey Baratheon Lannister. I almost um, included yeah. him myself. The, I refer to him as the despicable inbred. <laughs> I can't think of it. I didn't write down the guy's name. Um, as the kid. The actor, yeah. 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 This, this kid is, his character, you know, his parents are brother and sister, and he looks like that. <laughs> I mean, he, he actually just looks a little off, you know. But he, this guy, this actor does a fantastic job. And he hasn't acted since. He's quit acting, you know. Just this because people keep saying he looks inbred. <laughs> yeah, well, but he's tired of it. His, you know, the man who thought he was his father ignored him. His mother constantly manipulated him. He was just. Evil incarnate. What's you guys' name? Jack Gleason. Yeah, and he he was just twisted, messed up. Anything you know he could do to be evil, he did. Once you know he starts out the series not quite that way. He's just being manipulated, but then quickly you know comes to power and just does you know when given like uh, Tyrion the dwarf gives him some um, ladies to do his bedding with. He has them abuse each other. While he sets threatening with a crossbow in case they don't do what, you know, he tells them to do. He makes a guy kill himself, you know, die from just pouring wine down his throat until he explodes. And most. opens a bicycle shop. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Most famously. No bicycle seats. Most famously, he kills the most beloved character in the series. Yep. You know, and it's. Very shocking. So long as I am your king, treason shall never go unpunished. Sir Illyn, bring me his head. And what got a lot of people's attention to either stop watching the show because they were so upset about it or couldn't couldn't look away anymore. Just a just a terrible, terrible. De- depiction of this character the guy you know i mean the kid does a great job and you just hate him everyone oh, yeah. you can't help but hate this character and it's very well done michael michael's number two was jordan's number five high five all right i was good that was how i was gonna open this up was i was like 
I was going to say, I'm surprised this wasn't on Jordan's list. Okay, well, here you go. It was. The Smoking Man. X-Files? Yes. Well, what? Since it was on your list, I'll let you, because I know you'll do a better description oh. than I will. Uh, the actor's William B. Davis and just the creepiest man alive, probably. Even in the 10th season, that yeah. they like that was even creepier. So, yeah, he was around since the pilot episode, had no dialogue in that first episode, just standing in the background as they're talking to Mulder and Scully. And he's just this presence. He's just so scary looking and always has a cigarette in his hand. And it's just that that perfect look of the government looking over your shoulder or that knows more than you do. And I, the longer the show went on, the mythology got a little convoluted and it got a little silly with the alien invasion stuff. But just, just as a presence, uh, just, yeah, just an amazing, amazing character on a, a great groundbreaking show that changed TV forever, in my opinion. I agree. What's that? Do you have anything to add? You just loved it? Yeah, it's just that whole scary of at every turn the government is watching you, that he's controlling. He's like the true puppet master, even when he shows up in the 10th season. like He has all the answers for everything that Mulder is searching for, but he's like feeding him breadcrumbs the whole entire time. Yeah, knowing Mulder's only getting as far as he's being allowed to get. Yeah. You know, he thinks he's broken through. It's like, no, that's how far I, that's how much I let you know. And that's just terrifying that, you know, there, there are these people in power with the, these big of a secret and this uh, cold of a heart. Yes. All right. And the last number two, Cliff. Skeletor. <laughs> <laughs> the terrifying Skeletor. The arch enemy of He-Man. He-Man is now on Netflix. I know. I discovered way. that yesterday. <laughs> That's why you're up till 3 a.m. <laughs> Um, Couldn't yeah. sleep after seeing Skeletor. Yeah, Skeletor. Who you know? Do, as, do, a, as far as do the, the voice, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> do one impersonation. Now we want you to do all. But you nail it. Yeah. You nailed it so well. We just expect it. But as far as cartoon villains go, I mean, blue and purple guy with the purple hood over the bare yellow skull with no eyes and that. Creepy cackle, yeah. yeah. Starscream voice. Um. <laughs> Who's out to, you know, conquer Castle Grayskull so he can uh, eventually become unstoppable and rule, become the ruler of Eternia. And he probably would have done it too if it weren't for those. Uh, like bumbling, kids. yeah, no, those <laughs> bumbling henchmen that always screwed up his evil plan, and uh, I just always or made great action figures. They did make Moss Man, Skunkor, Skunkor, Stinkor, 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 Ram Man, Fisto. That's like saying Fisto. <laughs> <laughs> Manny faces, yeah. Um. Did you like the live action Franklin Jello version? No. No? Wow. Um, yeah, you are a purist. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was like a good scary skeleton. That, he, he, that was the best part of that movie, yeah. but 
the rest of the movie was so bad. I don't think. I mean, I remember going to the theater as a, as a kid and being so excited that Ivan Drago was going to be He Man. <laughs> <laughs> and then seeing was, seeing the movie, and it just was nothing like the cartoon. I was really upset that there was no transformation in that movie of Prince Adam and mm-hmm. He Man. Yeah, there were so many elements that weren't about the cartoon at all. Um, and I, <laughs> Any movie that revolves around a keytar is okay in my book. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Skeletor, number two. Number one. All right, this is it. We got our number ones, and they're all different. Wow. And turns out that I am scheduled to go first. So, I think he. This was playing from the beginning. Yeah, I wouldn't have wanted to go first. Yeah, that's the sweet spot. So, my number one villain is portrayed by Giancarlo Esposito. He's a Chilean entrepreneur of a drug empire and operator of Los Polios Hermanos from my favorite TV show ever, Breaking Bad. Gus Spring. This villain, you know, mild-mannered, calm, and runs a drug empire. He, you know, is generous to the community to cover his crimes, disturbingly calm and calculated, drives an old Volvo, you know, cold, high-functioning psychopath, controlling and brilliant, but when he has to take action, he's fearless and charismatic. He even takes the time to go visit and torment the invalid man who killed his brother. And just is creepy. And just the way he portrays this character. I mean, it's the best role that well, was he's it ever his had. brother or was it something deeper? I mean... I don't remember what you're talking about. It was his lover, was it? Well, yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay. So it's just another wrinkle, another Uh, secret he's hiding. But it's just a a fantastic show and a fantastic villain. And, uh, you know, I love it. Absolutely my number one villain. And it is Michael's turn. Well, mine compared to yours is completely left field going back to my childhood. Uh, one of my favorite, well, it is my favorite villain of all time because we all have to sleep at some point and he can get you in his dreams. The five fingered glove, the one, you know, five fingered glove. That is scary. He's a powerful force. He is Michael Jackson. Now I don't feel bad about ruining a, a previous podcast. Um, Freddy Krueger. Don't fall asleep. Played brilliantly that no one else could play him the same way, Robert England. 
Um, not Jackie Earl Haley? No. <coughs> he cannot get the, the dastardly villainy while also being comedically funny and being scary at the same time. Like, he just had such a power playing that character that you were scared at the same time of, like, enjoying the little uh, comedic rant that he would go off on. Freddy was always having a good time killing everybody. Oh, yeah. And just his backstory, he was a... Going back to your uh, Mr. Drummer, is that what is it? What was that character? Mr. Name? Drummer? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Horton, the Mr. hot dog, Mr. Hot dog baseball game taken. But he was a... Uh, uh, <laughs> Freddy Krueger in the real life in oh so off track so quickly ah! uh, in real life in the story he was a pedophile child killer um, he was the son of a thousand bastards his mom was a nun um, just a scary guy that was killed by the adults in that town on the parents Elm of the children or, yeah the parents of the children and forever haunted all the people's dreams by killing all their kids in revenge. I'm really surprised it wasn't Lex Luthor. I thought about that, but I was like... Wasn't even on his list. No. I know. Well, oh, I I, thought I it, had, that's why I thought it was going to be number one. I, I had to choose between General Zod, Lex Luthor, and Darkseid, and I picked Darkseid. Darkseid. As I explained to Jordan earlier, that in a nutshell... Lex Luthor is a whiny little bitch because Superman came about and ruined his thunder. He hates him so much because he's against Superman that he can't, won't even let him be on the list of That's villains. I know what it doesn't is. doesn't deserve to be on. Freddy Krueger, baby. Freddy Krueger. I need like a chalkboard to like script, like put a sound effect in there. Scraping. You could sing the, uh, the song, the rap song. Which one? The one by Either Fat one. Boys Either or one. by Nightmare on My Street by Will Smith? They're both gold. They are. They're, they're chocolate gold. Chocolate gold? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Is that like one of those Princess Leia medals yeah. in Disney? Okay, Cliff. What's your number oh, one? I'm um, surprised we haven't. Nobody else has had this. Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Too obvious. What, what, yeah. Very fresh in our minds right now after Rogue One, um, which is if you haven't seen it, don't listen to Seth because it's a great movie. No, it's a great movie. I never. I'm not saying it's not a great movie, but uh, it's yeah, just, it's, it's like Chinese food. <laughs> I'm hungry again. Darth Vader, you know, uh, Anakin Skywalker. The, uh, I considered. Knows, everybody I'm, knows who Darth. Vader I mean, yeah, is. it's a, it's a, it is a classic villain. It was like as soon as I started thinking about him, though, I was like, "Really, Palpatine's the villain?" You know, true. But but you know, it's not like Darth Vader that, isn't. I had that thought too. Like you know, Palpatine is the ultimate villain there. Right. Um, but I guess. But you know, a lot of me. The, yeah, a lot of these villains are redeemed at the end. You right. Know? You know, he still is absolutely a villain. I For me, agree. As, as a little kid at that time. Um, you know, especially to, I assume to a lot of little kids before the prequels, we didn't. Palpatine was the emperor. We knew that, but I don't think we really. We didn't focus on him. Yeah, exactly. We're, he was too behind or, the yeah, scenes. We, he for two or for a movie, he was just a hologram. Mm -hmm. um, and we all played with our who who wanted to play with a 
Emperor Palpatine Star Wars figure. Right. Nobody. I don't think he even had legs. It was just like a he didn't a, ro- a robe. Yeah. He wasn't even his arms. Only his arms moved. Barely yeah. articulated. Come on. I need a fully articulated villain. Yeah. Articulate this. Anyway, yeah, I agree. I I I only left Vader off just because you know I knew somebody'd have it on there. Speaking of, yeah, my number one's not a huge shock to anybody or not that creative, but I And I thought it was I thought it was gonna be my number one and the other three people would have yours as number one. So my number one is the Joker. Yeah. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence Uh, uh you know time after time the number one you know, any poll of comic book even just comic characters not even talking about villains. Uh, just has been around since the 40s. You know, just the perfect foil to Batman, who Batman is all about order and justice and righteousness. And the Joker is the complete opposite. It's just chaos and anarchy. And he, he thinks it's funny that Batman has this mission, even. That Batman thinks he can stop crime. That one man can save everyone and the joker just laughs in his face that that's not the way the world works and it's just been his mission to just prove batman wrong over and over again so uh, when done right the joker is is one of the best literary characters ever created so no no shock to anyone i don't think yeah i I almost had it on here just as for heath ledger's performance alone i mean you know that as just a perfect villain depicted in a movie yeah, how rare that there have been multiple actors leave that indelible stamp as a care as the same character over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. Was it the Joker, the character itself, based off of a black and white movie? I don't even know if it had sound, but like it was like the clown, yeah, the man who laughs. Yeah. I kind of like this. Okay, so who wins? And fight, we're all winners. <laughs> I think Cliff wins because he creeped us all out. Yeah, yeah really. Well, I know Dudley did not win. <laughs> we have some honorable mentions, you know. Of course, other villains. I, you know, as few I had down here. Of course, I, I had had Vader and Joker just off the list, but uh, Tony Soprano from Sopranos, um, Biff Tannen. Ah, I thought about that. I thought one. of that. Yeah. Yeah, I had a uh, little Bill Daggett from Unforgiven. Gene Hackman. Um, I was going to mess with you guys and say the man in black and then twist it up and say I was talking about Randall Flagg from the Dark Tower series and a lot of Stephen King books. Um, and I had Dodge from uh, Lock and Key comic. Now, while you guys were talking, I don't know what the villain's na- name was, but it made me think of the villain from the movie Seven. Like that was John little... Doe. Oh, I, yeah. he, I almost had him. It's just not in the movie enough to, you know, but yeah, absolutely a good villain. Just barely not making my list. Also, Hans Gruber, Darth Vader, and Biff. Uh, we didn't mention Magneto, and it was really hard to leave him out of my top yep. ten. But I, I didn't want to have too many comic characters, and he spent so much time as a good guy as well. It was kind of tough to, to, to find him a spot. Uh, Shredder from the Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Uh, Vern Schillinger, uh, J.K. Simmons from Oz, mm-hmm. the HBO show, as a 
a white supremacist in prison. Just terrifying, terrifying person. Uh, then the Baroness from G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I like that. Because, you know, again, she, it can be kind of cheesy and, mm-hmm. like, the accent of the cartoon is very silly. But there's an issue where they're storming a beach and uh, Baroness is staying on top of a tank and just shoots Storm Shadow. And he just falls face down into the sand. And as a kid, I was like, what just happened? Like, mm-hmm. you don't just shoot Storm Shadow. And I was like, that right. was the most cold-blooded thing I'd ever seen. You're only allowed to fight swords against Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It was not fair. But it was like, <laughs> that left such a mark on me. And my other last one, uh, General Woundwort uh, from Watership Down. This is a rabbit. Yeah. And it's he's the most terrifying villain you'll ever see. If you re- either read the novel or the, the animated version, he he rules uh, this... It's very metaphorical, but it's this 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 warren of rabbits that he has an absolute dictatorship on, mm-hmm. and the other they're trying to rescue some of the does out of it, and he just he's just he's a bad dude. <laughs> so there's there's a very the <laughs> that bunny of is a bad dude. <laughs> that, <laughs> that rabbit's dynamite. <laughs> Makes me think of um, the secrets of Nam. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I loved that as a kid. That was it was just a. The mood of that cartoon. Yeah. I was at the right age to, you know, I really, really loved that. Yeah, those were all my honorable mentions. Do you guys have any extras in. you didn't mention? Um, the villains from the Dark Crystal, the creepy oh, buzzards. Oh, wow. Those were creepy and scary. Yeah. And how could we not forget the nothing from the never-ending story? <laughs> <laughs> That tripped me out as a kid. Just the concept of like, it's nothing. Like, yeah, that was creepy. Say my name. <laughs> He's back. No, that was that guy. That's the guy that took you to the park. Yeah. Um, now you got some crappy villains. Who's who's real the bottom of the barrel? Is anyone on anyone's list? Does anyone not like anyone on anyone's list? Did anyone reveal one? Mm. You're just like, ugh, not that guy. No, I didn't. I wasn't. Like I had a couple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had Skeletor. Skeletor. Boom, right there. Yeah. I said Skeletor, Cobra Commander, and Mumra. I know they're beloved 80s characters, but they're just so terrible. So ineffectual. Never won the day ever or ever came close. <laughs> How can you not like Toilet Paper Mine? Oh, they're all just silly. <laughs> and I also don't love Darkseid or Thanos. Darkseid came first. But, like, these characters that are so... Like, even Apocalypse from the X-Men... They They're all such, the same. Yeah, they have such power, and they but it's never defined very well. And they're just, and there can be great story, like you know, Infinity Gauntlet is a great story. He wipes out half the galaxy, but then like they kept bringing him back. And after he was in the movie, Thanos has been the villain in like a dozen stories. And you know, you have Rocket Raccoon beat Thanos. He mm. loses a little something. So mm. these these all powerful villains. If you bring him back like once Zeus when it gets often. too yeah. cosmic and that high a power, I yeah. lose interest. That's why I haven't watched the last X Men movie because it just seems too much. It's way too high. Well I with Dark Side, my favorite storyline is probably Grant Morrison's run on JLA where it's like um it's the future and Dark Side is conquered. Oh um, yeah. I'm trying to think the name of the storyline. But it was it was like six issues and it was great because it was like kind of ragtag 
team of future JLI heirs that had to like go against them. And that was like a definite version of Dark Side. Yeah, so it's not, it's not, I don't dislike these characters, but if they're overused, even Galactus to a point, you know, that first time Galactus shows up, it's like, you know. I'm glad you brought him up, because that was one of the reasons why I left certain characters out, because they were, to me, Galactus is like a force of nature and entity. Yeah. Like, it's not that he's necessary villainous, like, to me, right. that's the, the same thing like Styler. It's a need to fill. Yeah, you just keep bringing him back. You gotta give him a backstory and make him sympathetic and give him, uh, you know, plot lines and he changes allegiance. Like, no, he's, the, the idea was the Fantastic Four face God and Reed Richards, you know, backs him down. They're like, that's amazing, but you just keep bringing him back time after time. It just loses mm-hmm. something. Couple more I I cringe at are like General Grievous and Count Dooku. Yeah, those are pretty bad. <laughs> Do you like Darth Maul? Yes. Okay. Because it's very slightly used, and I love the Duel of Fate scene. Okay. I mean that music and that fight. I'm that's, always torn on him. Like it's all I don't. You know, I really don't. I don't feel like we know enough about him to not like him. <laughs> and it, you know. Well, I always. In the last couple of years, um, I didn't watch much of the Clone Wars, but they they brought him back in the Clone Wars, and at the time, I remember being like, "What? Why? What? What could you possibly <laughs> do with this character to make?" I him believe any you. I'm looking at your face now. You're like upset about it. Um, why? But <laughs> he's continued on. They brought him back again in Rebels, and I've really liked him in Rebels. He's no longer. Sith, but he's trying to get Ezra to be his apprentice, and mm. he he's still after Obi Wan for revenge. I could see them you take bringing that character back and making him cool. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, definitely has the potential. You know, it just fe- feels like it was very underused. You know, and right. and Phantom Innocent, and but I like that. I I that that's the best of that movie. Yeah. Well, that was like, hey, here's your Darth Vader, and like, nope, sorry, right. yeah. There was no Boba Fett on anyone's list. I was a little surprised, but I, I already had two Star Wars villains on my list, so. Yeah. He falls into the realm of, like, De- Deadpool. Like, some char- some of these characters get so popular, like, you, you can't put them on your list anymore. They're so overused. And I feel like he's one of those characters that have gone that way. Not a lot of substance there, yeah. really. Yeah. To, I mean, definitely one of my favorite characters of all time, just because he looks cool. But that's... That's about where it begins and ends. That's probably it. I think we Pretty cool. I think we came at it from all angles. We accomplished what when I thought of this, I thought, you know, I, this was what I was thinking. You know, we got a lot of very crazy lists that, uh, you know, I. That's what I wanted to see. I wanted to be surprised by some picks. Wretched hive of scum and villainy. <laughs> we brought them in. It's Man. nice and foggy out for the drive home. Yeah. Michael's gonna. Steer clear of the park on his way home. Wow. Don't sure walk by the bicycle shop, Michael. Hey, that, it was broken into here recently. Wow. <laughs> well, all the wine was taken. <laughs> There's a trail of comic books leading into that shop. I just, just say no. Stay away. Oh, what's this? <laughs> Is this a dark side comic? <laughs> Next week on a very special podcast, <laughs> Michael learns not to talk to strangers. <laughs> what you talking about, Mr. Horton? <laughs>
How, as always, I am the one that cannot help but put his foot in his own mouth. I am the one, the only, the most illustrious Michael K. Easton. I'm enjoying every moment of it. I'm Jordan Lowe. I'm Cliff Barnes. And I'm the villainous Poobah. Goodbye forever. Kapow! The Pop Culture Podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during the podcast are property of copyright holders. All original content is property of www.udownwithkpp.com.